Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Good morning, everyone, or evening or afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. But this is probably our first official podcast for 2022. So, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes. Yes. I feel like we should have, like, um, what are those things? Whistles. Yeah, Yeah. whistles. Yeah, we don't want to deafen anybody. But uh, we're going to start off the new year with one of my absolute favorite families of birds, and that's family corvidae. And we've probably all heard the word corvid or corvidae used, and most of you probably know it refers to ravens and crows, but many people don't know that this family also includes jays, magpies, and nutcrackers. So this is the beginning of a four-part series where we're going to talk about the members of family corvidae that are found here in Arizona and what makes them different from other songbirds. And Cheryl's going to tell us. That's my cue. Yes. <laughs> okay, so what makes um, family corvidae different from other songbirds? So cor- corvids are known for their bold behavior, unbelievable m- memories, and excellent problem-solving capabilities. Most have ruckus calls as opposed to pretty songs like other songbirds. And we've all heard that with blue jays and stellar jays and even um, the ravens that we get here in the valley in the winter. So Kirsten's going to go on to some basics. Right. So we're going to talk about the common raven today. And I really kind of hate that his name is Common Raven because he's just not common at all. He's spectacular and amazing. There's nothing common about a raven. Not at all. But he's called the Common Raven because this is the species of raven that is actually found all over the United States, all into North America as well, up into Canada and into the Arctic areas. So the scientific name for the Common Raven is Corvus corax. They are omnivores. They like to eat berries, seeds, and meat in the form of carrion, invertebrates, eggs, young birds, reptiles, small mammals, and refuse. Yes, those of you who live near um, garbage areas that are open, yes, those blackbirds in the air are ravens. They will not pass up an easy meal. It is common, especially in winter, for ravens to cache pieces of meat or fat pulled from carrion. Those of you from the East Coast, um, up in the Vermont area or up in Maine, you've probably seen this many, many times. An animal uh, passes, uh, such as a deer, and ravens will pick pieces of meat off of it or or pieces of fat that they can get to, and they'll go cache it away. Very, very interesting. Uh, Common ravens are large birds. They're actually one of of the largest of all songbirds because they are considered a songbird. That's surprising even because they don't sound good. Yeah, they don't, but they're still (laughs) considered a songbird. Um, And they are 25 inches in length, and they average about 2.6 pounds, which is quite a lot. It doesn't seem like it, but that's a bird. And they're black in color with black feathers, a black bill, and black legs. Uh, the common raven is found on almost every continent, with the exception of Antarctica and Australia. Just give them time. They'll get to Antarctica. <laughs> They'll get to Antarctica eventually. <laughs> They'll probably make their way to Australia as well. Uh, they also have a wide distribution of habitat choice. They can be found in forested areas, mountain ranges, coastal and riparian terrain, and desert habitats. So pretty much everywhere you could possibly think of a place to live, they can live there. Once they mate, they stay with their chosen mate for life, raising three to seven chicks every year. They build nests made of sticks that are lined with lichen, fur, and feathers. 
That sounds like a lovely place to live. Yeah. Uh, they usually do it on cliff ledges or tall old growth trees. It's usually two years before they're ready to mate. And during the time before that, they are taking their gap year, as us humans like to say. And they will actually travel around in juvenile flocks of about four to ten individuals based on available resources. Could be more, could be less. And they're just kind of checking out the world and seeing what's going on. Okay, Kirsten, I have a question. Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt. But when they say that well, once they mate, they stay with their chosen mate for life, is that um, like with other songbirds, if they have an unsuccessful breeding year, they'll part ways. Do right. ravens do that or do will they stay with that mate even though they've had a rough year? From the information that we have so far with scientists researching them, they stay together. And they try to problem solve more about what happened. Was it my nest? Was it the food we were feeding? Uh, that kind of thing. So they, if it was a, a bad nesting situation and a predator, predator attacked and killed off all the chicks, then they'll pick another site. If it was bad resources, they might also pick another site. But they do tend to stay together through the thick and the thin of it. Well, that's cool to know. Yeah, it's very interesting. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Uh, so they can live up to 23 years in the wild, but that's just one instance. Uh, their typical lifespan is actually 10 to 15 years. They can live far, far longer than that in captivity. Uh, the oldest raven on record, I believe, in a zoo was 45 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just being 10 to 15 years in the wild actually makes them one of the longest living songbirds in the world. That's a long time. But they're a big a bird. Time. Yep. And they rely a lot on what they learn in their environment. And you get to talk about all the fun stuff in just a little bit. So ravens tend to be larger than crows by several inches, but from a distance that doesn't always help you make a good identification. So one of the best ways to ID them is to look at the tail feathers. So ravens tails are V-shaped, crow tails are square. Oh. So it's a really good way to do that. And remember raven, V, raven helps you remember. V-shaped raven tails, crow tails are square. So it's a good way to remember that. I also generally don't tend to overlap. Here in the valley area, if you have ravens around, you're most likely not gonna have crows because crows are smaller and they just don't wanna compete with ravens. Unless you have a really large group of crows, then they'll live in the same area as ravens because ravens, once they are adults and they're mated, they tend to just hang out in pairs. So then the, ra the crows feel that they can overcome the ravens if they need to for resources. Isn't that fascinating? It really is. Crows are underrated too. Crows are underrated too. And yes. we're also going to do a whole section on them as well in our family Corvidae. So ravens have up to 18 different calls that have been recorded, um, including calls described as a quark, a yell, a rattle, trill, knocking, and a caw. So all of these calls are used during different activities, such as defending a food source, warning of predators, during courtship, uh, sorry, courtship, and begging as juveniles. Scientific study continues to this day trying to understand what these calls mean, and they have also discovered that local dialects vary throughout the U.S. Oh my gosh, they're like whales. They are. So like um, a raven that is found in uh, Maine may not have the same kind of rattle or quark or yell that our ravens here in Arizona have. Most likely they'd be able to talk to each other, but still it might be a moment of, of, of a dialect yeah. where you got to think about it a minute and be like, oh, that's what you mean. Okay. 
So it's very, very interesting. These guys are so fascinating. I literally had to limit myself when I was doing all the research here. So I've heard knocking and I've heard a call. Yes. But I'm not sure if I could d differentiate the other uh, sounds. Yes. I will try to, at the end of this podcast, uh, if I can find a good site that has all the different different ones on there, um, I'll, I'll list that for everybody to try to listen to. And then also when we do our little three-minute podcast, we have some ones that we'll do. We're going to do the common raven, and I've got two different calls um, from a raven that's near my house. And I'm trying to follow him a little bit and try to get all of the other, any of the calls that I can get from them. And so we'll do that in our little three-minute podcast on the Calvin Raven. So keep an eye out for that guy to come out. Well, well you know, once he knows you're recording, he's going to I know, quiet. exactly. He does. He looks at me and he's like, <laughs> I know what you're doing with that phone. And then he just hushes right up and I'm like, oh, come on. So I try to be all nonchalant about it, but it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, so the Common Raven is actually found throughout Arizona and the Chihuahua Raven is also found in Arizona. This is the Chihuahuan Raven. They're much smaller, but they're only found in the very, very far southeast corner of the state near the Mexican and New Mexico border. So if you are here and anywhere else in Arizona, most likely it's the common raven that you're seeing. Uh, if you happen to be traveling right, literally right down in that corner where Mexico, New Mexico, and Arizona come together, you might be seeing a Chihuahuan Raven. And the difference is that the Chihuahuan Raven is a little bit smaller, but like visually with your eyes, you might not be able to tell that. All right. Well, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of the common raven. And Cheryl is going to talk about all the cool, fun stuff that we've learned about raven behavior. Yes, I've got the, the cool stuff this week. Yes. So all corvids are known for their bold behavior, unbelievable memories, and excellent problem-solving capabilities. And ravens in particular are renowned for their problem-solving skills. And yes, if you ever watch ravens, you can... You can witness this um, firsthand. One ex experiment done by scientists studying ravens consisted of a piece of meat attached to a rope enclosed in a cage. To access the meat, the bird had to grab the rope with their bill, pull it up, place their foot on the loop to prevent, I don't even know if I could do this. I know. <laughs> and prevented it from falling and repeat this until they reached the meat. Several ravens were seen mastering this feat on the first try. So they also learn from observation. So if one gets it, the others are quicker to figure it out. Yeah, sometimes. In this one, when they first started out, though, um, it was a raven that was by himself. And so he had not seen anybody else do it. He just kind of saw the meat, wanted to try to get at it, walked around the cage, looked, gave it the little bird eye, walked around, and then was like, I'm going to get this. Jumps up to the top and... In his mind, just by looking at it, he figured out that this is what you do. You pull up the rope, put your foot right on it, keep pulling until you get to the meat. And it just blew the observer's minds. They were just like, this is not happening right now. And it was crazy. So when, ca when uh, caching food for winter, ravens are known to steal other catch catches from um, sort of prevent the other, other birds' foods. So to prevent this, a raven will deceive anyone watching by faking a, a deposit or switching deposit sites when the observer has left. It is one of the few documented instances of deceit in a non-human animal. Huh. Yeah, it's really crazy. That is crazy because that, that shows a perception. It does. And forethought. Yes, mm -hmm. that we don't normally. And not only that, it shows, do I trust that individual? Do I not trust that individual? Right. It's, it makes their 
behavior and their minds and their perceptions of the world so much more complicated than we ever thought any songbird could have. And so that's why it's so important, these instances of deceit. We really thought that we as humans were the only ones that would do something intentional. And these ravens have shown that they're intentionally faking a cache just so the one that's watching them won't get their food. So they're manipulating. Yeah, it's, it's, it does. It just blows your mind. Yeah, it is <laughs> when you think about it, yes. Ravens also are known to accompany any animals that kill large games, such as coyotes, polar bears, wolves, grizzlies, orcas, and humans. I didn't know they followed killer whales. Yeah. Um, they follow these predators in, anticipa in anticipation of stealing a bit of food from the kill. In areas where uh, where ravens live in close contact with wolf packs, they have learned that the call of the wolves indicate a fresh kill and come flying to grab what they can. On the other wing, when a raven comes across a car carcass they cannot access due to the tough hide, they will make a call that brings the wolves to the carcass so they can open it with their teeth, giving the ravens access to the meat. So that shows another way they're manipulating their... Yeah. Um, environment yeah and other animals because the raven that's hiding the you know creating the deceit by hiding their food in a different spot is manipulating the raven it doesn't trust and in here it's manipulating the wolf yeah and the researchers who have studied wolves um and researchers who study ravens have um combined together in situations like this like specifically up in yellowstone area and they have uh, combined their information and now it's not as much as um, manipulation as we thought, as more of a symbiotic relationship. Oh, wow. Yeah, because like, the, sometimes the wolves, in uh, when uh, resources are scarce in those winters where they just can't find anything, they will actually actively seek out ravens. And then ravens are doing the same thing when they need something opened. They, they rely on each other in those really rough times of the winter to actually survive. So it's, it's more like teamwork. Yeah, it is. It's more like teamwork. And so once again, this, this, this particular Corvid and this raven just steps out of that little box that we had songbirds in to just make us be like, whoa, what is happening here? That is just too cool. It is. Okay, so some scientists believe that ravens have demonstrated the capacity to communicate about objects or events that are distant in, distant in space and time. This is called displacement and has only ever been demonstrated in bees, ants, and humans. For example, when an unmated subadult raven finds a carcass defend, defended by a mated pair, it has no hope of challenging them for the food source. But if they had more, but if he had more ravens on his side, he could chase them off and get to the food. The subadult male ravens roost with other ravens of the same age at night. So the raven that found the guarded carcass will communicate this to its roost mates and the next day they all fly over together and chase the mated pair off and claim the carcass for themselves. Study continues today to determine exactly how they do this. That is just like um, really too smart. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like calling your friends on the sly and saying, hey, if we all get over there, we can get all the movie seats before yeah. somebody else does. Yeah. Ravens have also been known to play. Play is difficult to define, but essentially it is performing a behavior for no other obvious reason. Ravens have been seen sliding down snow slopes over and over again for the pure joy of doing it. They are also one of the only wild animals known to make toys 
may have been seen breaking off twigs to play with. And we could go on and on and on and on. We could. We haven't even touched the surface yeah. of their, even their play. Yeah, we just scratched like the really cool stuff. Yeah, because I know that they will use things to slide down slopes because mm -hmm. I've seen that, you know, those videos on animal channels. And I just recently saw one um, that's posted out of a, a Yellowstone um, photographer. He's uh, videotaped ravens literally just ro rolling down a snow slope. Mm-hmm. And Without anything, I mean, they're literally they're just rolling, just rolling like, yeah. down, like doing a somersault, if you can imagine a bird doing a yeah, somersault. Yeah, and so you have to stop and think, and everything we've ever learned about wild animals is that all of their behaviors have some some reason behind it. Well, what's the reason for that? I mean, what is he getting out of that? He's not, he's not getting anything but a weird spinning feeling in his head, like we do when we're kids, and you roll down the side of a hill, and so it really is challenging what science thought about wild animals, especially songbirds. Especially, yeah, birds. And uh, we're having to reevaluate some things that we thought we knew. Yeah. And it's just... Yeah, because we know that, you know, otters play, coyotes play, dogs play. You know. Sure. But all of those plays, but, you can go back and you say, oh, the reason they're playing is because they're learning how to hunt. Or they're right. learning... Right. Right. So all these abilities that they need later. But rolling down a snow drift, what does that, <laughs> what does that do for what the What does Raymond? it do for you? It doesn't, like you do, it doesn't give you a way to kill anything or to... to nothing. It, it's fun. It's, it's just, just fun. entertainment. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, Kirsten, how, how do we attract them to our yard if we're interested? Oh, right. Okay, attracting them to your yard is generally not done because they really won't come to traditional feeders of seed or suet. Um, as juveniles, ravens are very curious, and they'll investigate almost anything, especially shiny things. They do love the shiny things. I love the shiny things, too, so I think I'm part Corbin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when they become adults, they actually suffer from neophobia, which means the fear of new things. Also, it kind of sounds like humans, too. When you yeah. get older, you don't want to try new things. Yeah. Um, this does not lend well to investigating a backyard feeder and finding out what is in it. Uh, so generally, you can't really put anything out there. Um, there are, in some of the books that I'm going to recommend that you guys read, um, some people with very large backyards whose neighbors aren't terribly close or are very terribly forgiving, they have actually used roadkill to attract them. Uh, they built a platform, put the roadkill up on there, and after a while, most likely a young juvenile has found that, and they've come down and they uh, have investigated, taken some food, and then their other cohorts with them are like, hey, it's food, he's not dead, so let's yeah. go down there and try that out. <laughs> I'm sure they go, hey, you Joe, you try it. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly what they do. And then once they try that, sometimes adults will come by and they'll see it as well, and they do continue to learn throughout their lives by watching others, um, but I don't know how many people wanna like go scoop up some roadkill and put it in your backyard and do that. <laughs> so uh, generally you just don't attract ravens to your backyard. Uh, occasionally they will come if they are a, as, as like I said, as a juvenile, they were used to taking peanuts, like the full peanuts in the shell peanuts from a place. Uh, maybe they learned this at a park or they saw their parents doing it or something. Occasionally they might do that, but it's rare for them to yeah. come into a backyard at a, a feeder. So generally these guys, uh, you just want to do what we do for everybody else. Get the native habitat going and leave your large trees um, where you can and that kind of stuff. And then they'll use your habitat for maybe a roost or just a place to spy some good stuff. And that's really how you attract them to your yard. That's cool. When we're camping up at the 
the rim, that's when I see the ravens most. <clears throat> and I do put out the in-shell peanuts for the Stellar Jays because yeah. they're just hysterical with them. But sometimes it'll, that activity attracts the ravens. Mm -hmm. I think I was sharing with you earlier. I, I asked you if they ate the in, the peanuts because I'm not seeing them do yeah. that. But they don't. When I was watching them the last time we were up there in October, they're hiding them from the Blue Jays. Yeah. Just to annoy them. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and keep in mind, remember, Stellar's Jays are also a Corvid. So we're going to do a whole segment on Jays that we find here, and we'll find out maybe what they do to kind of tick well, off Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens. <laughs> that's well, cool. Well, that's what we've got for our Ravens in Family Corviday today. And thank you guys for joining us, and I will be putting some stuff on show notes. But before we leave, we do have a plant spotlight today. Yes, and I chose a, um, the queen wreath vine, and I have one of these in my backyard, and it is was planted in 1995, and it's still going strong. It takes up a whole block wall. Nice. So these uh, vines are actually they're native, actually more to Mexico than Arizona, but they adapt well to the southern part of Arizona, so up this high. Um, they don't really like cold weather. So these fast-growing perennials climb 30 to 40 feet tall. Mine's not that high, but it is as high as a block wall. What's that, six feet? With curled uh, tendrils and bright green heart-shaped leaves. The undersides of the leaves have pronounced green vines. The plant flowers prolifically. It does. It's beautiful. Mine happens to be pink, but it comes in red, coral, and white, and they cluster on the branches. And um, they have um, what's called uh, terminal stalks. It blooms continuously from late summer until the first frost, attracting bees. So mine's still blooming because it hasn't gotten yeah. cold yet. Butterflies and hummingbirds. And after flowering, dark seeds are in that are enclosed in a light tan papery sheath appear. Um, the plant is a shelf climber that clings to walls and wooden or metal trellises with its curled long trendles. It's very easy to train. We actually don't have ours growing up a block wall that glow, grows on lattice that mm. my husband has put up all along the uh, block wall. Um, the underground tubers are actually edible. Um, the plant, the queen's wreath, is well planted in well-draining soil, um, improved with amendments, which is usually fertilizer. We use compost. Mm. Um, it, Use on arbors, fences, walls as a screening plant in uh, pool areas and other water features. Like I said, it's native to Mexico and Baja, California, the Sonoran um, area of Mexico, and um, down that way. And actually, <coughs> excuse me, Central America. I do want to note that the plant freezes at 32 degrees. So when it gets that cold here, uh, we do put blankets around the bottom half of it um, to keep the roots warm. Because when it freezes, it will, yeah. all, all that it exposed will die off. But it grows back um, vigorously and during late spring and summer from its roots. So it just pops right back up. So those of uh, listeners, if we have anybody up out of the valley, like up in the in the north in Flagstaff <laughs> no, or something. This is like not that. a plant for it. Not a plant for our right. northern areas. Right, okay. but it's a, it's a great cover for block walls or if you have open fencing, like you have a horse area and you want to like have some privacy or something, it's another um, choice for that vine. Nice. Um, um, it has full sun, reflected heat, thrives growing up hot walls. 
um, provide deep irrigations during the hot season to promote growth and vigor. But other than that, um, it can supply it survives on the the rainfall that we get. Nice. And um, my husband trims it back in February. It's trims it back to almost nothing, and then within a couple of weeks, it'll start sprouting things again, and he starts weaving them through the um, the lattice. And nice. I'd say by June, our wall is full again. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. I like I like that this one's a vine. We've been doing a lot of shrubs and trees lately, and I yeah. like this one's a vine. That's very cool. And it's it's um it's easy. Nice. Well, fantastic. You like easy. I love easy. I'm all about the lazy gardener. That's me. <laughs> all right. Well, I will definitely check out the show notes. We'll put some stuff about uh, further reading on ravens. And then keep an eye out for our next three segments of Family Corvidae. Bye, everybody.